You are listening to the Hill Country Bible Church podcast. To learn more about Hill Country Bible Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at hcbc.com. Please enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, Hill Country. My name is Eric, one of the pastors on staff. Glad you're with us. Whether you're joining us from Leander, Center Ranch, online, or here at Lakeline, glad you're spending part of your day beginning to God's Word as um, we finish up an amazing series. As we go on, I'd like to introduce you to my grandfather, or one of my grandfathers. This is Thomas Creekmore. He was born in 1923. So he's a child of the Depression. As a young man, he served in the Army Air Corps, B-17 radio operator, flying missions over Germany. Later on in his working career, um, was in the airline industry, spent a lot of time at United. Um, as he got older, well, let me just say, personality-wise, um, he was a bit of a ham, self-admitted. Um, Loved to make jokes, loved to cut up, loved to um, maybe say some things that would um, catch you off guard. And, um, and like us kids, as we finish dinner, granddad would lean over and say something like, you know, the only reason you have dinner is to get to dessert. And if we could just dispense with dinner and go right to dessert, that'd be better. Our parents didn't buy that. Um, but as I was saying, as he was getting older, he's 90, 91, 92, 93, um, his birthdays became real events, um, like destination events. And he would have a theme. Um, he, would, he would like do a weekend just to celebrate another number. Sometimes he would get a football jersey that had that number and he'd wear that around for the weekend. He also, he also loved to sing. So at these birthday parties, he would bring his own backup band. <laughs> and you're probably wondering, like, oh, Eric, what did your grandfather sing? And eh, just the normal stuff, Taylor Swift, Justin Bieber, Beyonce, you know, the stuff, stuff you'd expect. Um, <laughs> no, like a lot, of, a lot of big band, 40s, 50s music is, is what he would sing. And uh, it, was, it was a blast getting to celebrate each of those milestones as they, as they came along. And um, <clears throat> last, last March, actually, a year ago, um, I went to see him because his health was declining. I flew from here, my dad from South Carolina, and so we met in Pittsburgh because the nursing home that he was at was just outside the city. Because I wanted to see him one last time. I wanted to tell him one last time, hey, here's what your great-grandkids are up to. Here's how Heather and I are doing. Here's what God's doing in Texas. And, um, and to tell him I love him. You know, one more time. And it was, I'm so glad I did it. It was an amazing trip. But on the flight back, there were two thoughts that kept like just bouncing around in my head. The first was like, honestly, one day that's going to be me. Like as he, as he sat, as he laid in his bed, having, having difficulty swallowing, um, couldn't sit up under a pile of blankets because he had a tough time keeping warm. Um, I was like, man, like one day I'll be the one and someone will be visiting me. Second thing I thought was um, it shouldn't be this way. Like something deep down in my heart, like I know the Bible and I know that God has a plan. But in, in that moment, I'm like, oh, like why do we have to go through this? Why do we have to do, why do we have to say goodbye? And the reality is like for all of us, none of us want to think about that. 
None of us want to think about saying goodbye to loved ones. None of us want to think about the inevitability of our own physical decline. And yet we know it's coming. Right? But I don't know about you, but have you noticed that in our culture particularly, like we push that thought out of our minds. Like what we do is we focus so much, have you noticed, on health and fitness and whatever the latest fitness fad is. Like I hope your Peloton bike is not gathering clothes right now. (laughs) How when we eat vegetables, it used to be just vegetables were enough. Now they're organic vegetables. Don't give me those non-organic stuff. Now we have meatless burgers. Why do we have meatless burgers? Like God in his grace made cows out of hamburger. Yes and amen, I say. And to all my meatless burger fans, I love you. Eat your meatless burger. Um, But the reality is we're all, like the fittest among us are going to eventually decline. Nothing we can do about it. It's coming. But that's also not the whole story. Because what we do read in God's word is there is a future. And there's a future body. That all this, although this one may decline, we're going to get a future one that's going to be, and this is what we're going to look at this morning, amazing. And there's going to time where it won't be this way. And we'll never say goodbye again. It will always be today with all the people that we love, God most of all. So what we've been doing is spending time thinking about the body in these many weeks. A theology of the whole self. Because what God gives us in his word is help in order to know, well, like, God, what do you want me to do with this body? How am I supposed to care for it? How am I supposed to use it? And over the weeks, we've learned things about how God uses and, and works in our body through worship. And how our spiritual growth at some measure is tied to what we do physically We've looked at things about how we care for our body and specific issues around, hey, do this, don't do that, specifically around sex and sexuality. And last week, we talked about the fragile body. And this Sunday will be sort of a part two and a culmination of that conversation, as well as a culmination of our series. And we're going to anchor our thoughts around this core truth. That although our present bodies are wearing down, You know it, I know it, there's nothing we can do about it. That's the trajectory. Our future bodies will be glorious and eternal. That although right now you and I are in these present bodies and we're going to suffer through some things, one day, one day you and I are going to have a future body that will be utterly amazing. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we unpack what God says, at least in this passage, about our future bodies. And the Apostle Paul, as he unpacks this for us, is going to give us this first truth that we need to know. That the future body will be glorious. That the future body that you have coming, if you are in Jesus that I have coming is going to be not just like good, like I just got a better car, like it's going to be amazing, right? It's going to be glorious. So in 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to start in verse 35, about halfway through the chapter. But I need to orient us as to where we are in the Bible and what 
the Apostle Paul is doing here, what God is telling us. The first half or so of 1 Corinthians 15 is about resurrection, particularly the resurrection of Jesus. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to put a bullseye right over the fact, the historical fact that Jesus, three days after he was killed on a Roman cross, walks out of his grave. And what Paul will say is like, hey, just don't take my word for it. This person saw him after he was crucified. This person saw him. Those people, you can, you can talk to any of those people, they saw him. That it is a verifiable historical fact that was spoken about in the scriptures that Jesus himself said was going to happen. And the only person in history to predict their own resurrection, he pulled it off. And so what Paul is doing is he said this happened and this is the key event to our entire faith. The fact that Jesus walked out of the tomb means that everything else he said about himself is true, that he is God, that he is the one and only Savior, that forgiveness of sins is only found in him, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Why do we believe that? Because the tomb was empty. Jesus was alive. Now, you may wonder, like, okay, so why is Paul having to talk to this church at this time about this issue? And it's because of what the culture in Corinth at the time believed about resurrection. You know what they believed about resurrection? You're silly if you believed in resurrection. The average Corinthian would say, like, really? You believe that after someone dies, they pop back out of the grave? Really? That's your position? In Roman culture at the time, they had a phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. So much a part of their culture, like archaeologists have found headstones where it's like, here lies Bill Johnson. Like that, that didn't, there was no Bill Johnson, but you know what I'm saying. Um, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. That's, a, that's how a part of the culture they thought, when you die, that's it. The lights go out, you're done. A lot like our culture today. In our materialistic, the only thing you can count on is what you can see, taste, feel, and study. What the Corinthians were dealing with was just people. Imagine you're a believer in this church. They find out you're a Jesus follower. Oh, you're in that group of people that believe that your God walked out of the grave. What are you, an imbecile? Like you actually believe that? And so what Paul is going to do is he's going to not only start with Jesus as proof of the resurrection, that there is something after the grave. He's going to unpack, and this is where verse 35 comes in, the concept of, re of resurrection itself. Look at this. But someone may ask, Paul is going to just give them their questions that they have been in a pejorative way, in a snarky way, asking of believers. How, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come Paul's response, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Here's what's going on in Corinth. What the Corinthians believed is, okay, let me get this straight, Christians. You believe that a body goes into the ground and at some point in the future, that body comes up out of the ground. I, I don't want that body stinking, rotting. Like, do you believe in a zombie resurrection? Is that what you're talking about? And Paul's like, no. We don't believe in a zombie resurrection. In fact, think about it. 
Go to the local farm. Go to the local garden. What happens when you take a seed and bury it? Does it stay, quote unquote, dead? No. What happens after that seed is buried? New life comes up. So what Paul says is, please don't think that resurrection is impossible because in fact, in the world, we see things get buried and that's not the end of the story, is Paul's point. But he's going to unpack this seed analogy even more. Look at this, verse 37. He says, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps a weed or something else. But God gives it a body as he has had determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Here's what Paul is saying. It's like, okay, you think we believe in a zombie resurrection of some sort? Let me just explain to you. Just look around. Go back to the farm. Go back to the garden. The form of the seed that goes into the ground, that's buried, that dies, actually comes up in a very different form. Let me, let me give us an example. These are apple seeds. Now, I don't know how many farmers we have, but I'll bet you'll follow this pretty easily. When you plant this, is a bigger version of this what comes out of the ground? No. This is Paul's point. You plant one form and you get a whole new form. As a result, notice what goes into the ground. It looks one way, but God is so amazing. God is so creative. God is so able to produce life that he can take that and produce that. And you think resurrection is not possible? God has, and I'll use the term, seeded creation with examples of things that die actually producing life and life that's amazing. And then he says, if you think God has a limit to his creativity, he says, look at this. Verse 39, all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, fish another. He says, God is so amazing. Just look around. And all the different forms, all the different bodies that God is able to produce. You think that a body goes into the ground and God's like, I don't know what to do with that now. No, just look around. And then he says, look up. Look at this. Verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. He says, just look at the sky. God in his creative ability can make a sun, a moon, stars, millions, billions of them, however many they are. He's not limited in any way. You think he can't take this physical form and transform it into something amazing? Think about it. Every night. Every day of our lives, God has given us witness in the world to the proof and the veracity of resurrection. That's Paul's point. You can't help but see it. But we're talking about bodies, which is where Paul goes next. Verse 42, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown 
maintaining that seed analogy. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. That's the body that you and I will one day have. And so what Paul does in this section, he says, okay, let me just give you the characteristics of the present body. And I'm going to contrast them with the body that you and I, if you are in Jesus, are going to have. His first contrast is between the perishable and the imperishable. This is our body now. It's breaking down. It's like if you leave milk on a counter too long, it's only going to go one direction. Why? Because it's perishable. You and I have aches and pains and things that are wearing thin and wearing out, but one day your body will be imperishable. There will be no aches, there will be no pains, there will be no hospitals or hospice, there's no wheelchairs or crutches or canes, there's no cancer, no Alzheimer's, no Parkinson's. You're going to get up every day feeling great. And all God's people said, why? Because your future body will be imperishable. Second contrast. The present body is under the effects of dishonor. The future body will be glorious. Here's what he's getting at. You and I, every day of our lives, because of the sin in Genesis 3, have been suffering physically the effects of sin. That right now in our physical makeup, our, we are marred. Sin has stained us. The reason why there is death is because of sin. The reason there is decay is because of sin. We suffer because we are dishonored. Sin has so wrought through and destroyed what God has created that all we've ever experienced is dishonor. But one day, you will be glorious. The stain of sin finally, finally will be removed. If you are in Jesus, you will be holy and righteous and look exactly like your Savior, glorious. That day's coming. Third contrast. Right now, our present body, characterized by weakness, the future body, power. Now, when you first read this, please do not think Marvel superhero. Okay? If that's the case, I'm in for Thor. Not Thor in Endgame, but Thor in like the earlier movies. You know what I mean if you've seen it. But here's what he's getting at. Right now, you and I suffer from weakness. I'll prove it to you. I bet you'll need to eat several times today. I'll bet... Like me, you're going to take a nap this afternoon. Right? Think of it. Like I'm going to speak two times today and then I need a nap. Why? Weakness. I bet you have to sleep every night. Why? Weakness. But one day, one day, you're never going to feel, like you're going to get done with an activity and be like, I feel great. Not like playing with your kids and then you're like, I need like two days to recover. <laughs> the New Testament doesn't say a lot about what our capabilities will be, but they will be amazing. What we'll be able to do 
and never get tired doing it. Last contrast. The present body, natural. The future body is spiritual. Your body right now, remember Genesis chapter 2. God, so to speak, takes his hands into the dirt and he forms Adam. Right? You and, our, you and I are made of natural materials. Materials that decay. One day. You are going to be made out of spiritual, heavenly materials that will never decay. He's going to talk about that more in a second, and we'll get to that then. But this is who we are now, and this is who we will one day be. And as I said earlier, the reason why we need this is because our future body, as God intends it, is not simply to be something that, oh, okay, I'll have that one day. But the, the reality of having a future body one day is supposed to impact our today. Here's what I mean. I've got four kids. They're older now. They're teenagers. They're driving. So pray for us. Um, but when they were little, little, like toddlers, like two and three, this, this scene played out multiple times. It happened at your house, I know. Like my two-year-old son, he's got his new Christmas toy Tonka truck or some truck, and he's out playing with it, and sure enough, wheel falls off. And he is despondent. <laughs> can't believe my new truck is there. Sobbing and tears and all the rest. And in the middle of his anguish, he has a thought. Maybe dad can fix it. So I'd be somewhere in the house, and here comes my toddler son just sobbing. <laughs> right? And he hands it to me. Right? And in that moment, I'm like, this one I can actually fix. All right, good. So I, I take the, the truck from him and the wheel. and we, Hey, buddy, let's go out to the garage, the workbench. And so I put it on the workbench, put the wheel on the axle, and I grab a hammer, and I tap it down. And then because I'm really smart. I hit the axle to kind of flare it out and hold it on. And my son's face transforms. He goes from sobbing as he sees this thing get put back together. He's like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And so I get to take his now fixed truck, give it to him. And he's like, oh, thanks dad. This is amazing. And you feel, don't, don't you feel this way? <sighs> Super dad. Please, someone get me some unassembled Ikea furniture. <laughs> Feel like I can do anything. No, I, I, Ikea, that's hard. Um, here's, here's what life is. Here's what this life is. It is a long walk with bodies that struggle, with aches and pains to meet our Father who will one day fix them. That's what this life is. And when you experience that, you know how much joy you're going to have? It's off the chart. How do you know that that's coming? Because Jesus walked out of his tomb. That's how you know. That will change your today. It doesn't remove the cancer. It doesn't remove the broken bone. But what it does is in the moment, it gives us a hope to endure whatever we have to endure physically, knowing that a future body awaits. That's the point. 
Now, here's our choice, right, in culture, in time right now. You can deal with your physical maladies the Corinthian way. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you die. Sorry stinks for you. Or you can do it the gospel way. That says, yeah, right now this is not fun. What I'm dealing with is not enjoyable. But it is temporary. It is temporary. How do we know? Because every day in this body is a day closer to this body. Amen. What God wants us to know about our future body is it's coming, so it transforms our present. Where Paul goes next is this truth, that the future body points to the fullness of our redemption, that when you and I come to faith in Jesus, we are forgiven our sin, we are brought back into a right relationship with the Father, and a redemption of all things that is way more than we generally consider on a day-to-day basis. Look back at the passage, verse 45. It says, so it is written, the first Adam, that's the Adam of Genesis, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven, As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been, we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, here's the promise, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Here's what he's doing. He's contrasting Adam and Jesus, and he's trying to put it in terms that, like, when you compare the two, you're like, yeah, there's some problems here, but man, this is amazing. The first Adam, dust, earthly, natural, decaying. That's what we're at now. The second Adam, Jesus, spiritual, heavenly, holy new material. That's what you're going to be made of. How do you know Because we saw it in Jesus after the cross. Now, why is it that you and I have to be made of heavenly material? Why is it that our form must change? Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. If you are of the earth, you are made of earthly material. But if you are one of those who are going to be in heaven... You get to be made of heavenly material. Now, I don't know about you, but that's way better than this stuff. You may ask, like, okay, well, how or when is that going to happen? That's what Paul hits next. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Here's what's going to happen. There is going to be a trumpet blast that literally is heard around the world when Jesus returns. And he ushers in his kingdom finally. 
And in that moment, those, here's the two groups of people, those who have died previously will come, that are in him will come back with him and he will reconstitute our bodies. No idea how he's going to do it. He's going to reconstitute our bodies and boom, you get it. If you're in the group of people who are alive when Jesus returns, it will be in a blink of an eye and your, your body will be transformed and you will go from what you have now to your heavenly future eternal body. That's what's coming. And God redeems all things. Most importantly, he destroys death. Look at this, verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is in this redemption that God is working for all those who have put their faith in Jesus is it's not just your sins are forgiven and you have a right relationship. Yes and amen, that starts it. But everything else is getting fixed. The world will be remade. There will be no more hurricanes and tornadoes. Creation gets fixed. All of our relationships, all the things that drive us um, to stress and anxiety, all of that will be fixed. The devil and his demons, along with everyone in rebellion against Jesus, goes into the lake of fire. And our final enemy, death, will be no more. The redemption that you and I are longing for is not just that we get to be with Jesus, but that everything gets fixed. Gordon Fee, who's a commentator on this passage, he says, he, he describes it this way. I love this. He says, take that death. For when mortality is clothed with immortality, when you and I receive our future bodies, you have lost both your victory and your sting. No more can death tyrannize because it has been swallowed up by resurrection. And Paul in Philippians, when he talks about this same theme, he says this. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything. Jesus is going to redeem everything. To bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's what you and I have to look forward to. And when you and I get a handle that God, like as we talk about the future body, we go, wow, I'm getting a future body, but you know what? I'm also going to get this and this and this is getting fixed and God, and we should just marvel again at what God is able to do and what he will do for us. That's what the future body is doing. It's kind of like if you've ever taken a child to an amusement park for their first time. When you go in the gate and they look and like, what is this new world that I've entered into? And they have the sights and the smells and the gift shops 
where my mom and grandparents will spend all their money. <laughs> and think about, give, think about a theme park for a second. Each of them, Disney, Six Flags, SeaWorld, you go to one area and it's got all these cool things and this ride and it's amazing. And then you go to a new area and it's got a new theme and a new ride. And it's like you watch the kid from area, like, does this ever end? Well, yes, because we're going to run out of money soon. That's why it ends. God's redemption for you and I is more amazing than you can imagine. And it's supposed to grip us. Like when we think about, like, yes, I'm having a tough time physically, but I'm going to have a future body in that moment. So, oh, but God's going to fix it. And he's going to fix that. And he's going to fix that. And he's going to fix that. Question. Do you know that redemption? Do you know that redemption? Like as we visit here and talk about what God has coming do you know that this redemption will be yours? And what I mean by that is for you, has Jesus made the transition from being a savior to being my savior? Has the transition happened that Jesus, when he's on the cross, isn't just dying for sins in general, but he's dying for my sins in particular? Have you come to the place where you say, I am a sinner and need forgiveness that only Jesus can provide, and you've talked to Jesus about that and been saved? Do you know this redemption? And why not today? Why not today of all days? At all of our locations, there's going to be folks around the room who would love to have a conversation with you about how you go from death truly to life. We're going to be baptizing people at all our locations. Why not today make that step to say, yep, I'm in with Jesus and declare it publicly through baptism. Why not today that that redemption be yours? Now, we could at this point with everything that Paul said be like, oh, whew. man, future body coming. Let's just kick back, relax, do a Christian version of that Corinthian eat, drink, and be merry. But Paul doesn't stop with death being defeated. He has one more thing to tell us, and that's verse 58. And here's what he says. That the future body, what we have coming, again, is supposed to do something in the present. It's meant to spur our present action, that because we have this secure and coming, that we do something in the present. Look at verse 58. It says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here's what is so interesting. Paul does not just have this sentence here as a transition to his next thought. He doesn't have this sentence here because he's trying to wrap up what he's saying. He says, therefore, which means everything he said about Jesus' resurrection, everything he just said about our bodily resurrection, therefore, has a logical consequence, has a logical outworking. Paul, what is it? If, if Jesus walked out of the grave, if I'm going to do that too one day, 
Therefore, what now? Here's the what now. Two truths. You and I need to stand firm. We need to stand firm. Why? Because in this life, you will suffer bodily. Stand firm. You have a new body coming. In this life, you and I will suffer, just like the Corinthians were, from people like, hey, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Why do you think that way? Stand firm. Why? Future body. This existence, not forever. That existence, forever. Second thing he makes a point about. Your labor in Jesus in this life matters eternally. Your labor in Jesus and for Jesus matters eternally. It is not in vain. None of your labor in him is in vain. Why? Because it has ramifications eternally. It has echoes in eternity. It shows up not just here, but shows up in eternity. In contrast to the Corinthian cultural way of doing life, which says, when you're done, you're done, lights go out, it's over. For that person, all your labor is in vain. Why? Because it dies with you. We have to think out the worldview, which says, okay, you are like a stone that gets tossed in the pond, ripples for a little bit, and then there's no evidence that you were ever here if there's no resurrection. But if there is a resurrection, if there is a future body, everything that we do matters because we carry it with us. Our labor is not in vain. I didn't tell you the whole story about going to see my grandfather. The other reason I went is because I wanted to tell him about Jesus one more time. I had been a follower of Jesus a number of years. I prayed for my grandfather. I shared the gospel with him on a couple of different occasions. And each time he's like, Eric, yeah, I'm glad for you, but it's just not for me. And I said, okay, God, give me one more chance. Off to Pittsburgh we go. We got to his nursing home, went into his room. There was a bed here, TVs over here, old recliner chair over here. We talked about the normal stuff he talked about. Hey, granddad, how's the food here? Terrible, I figure. Gave him the update on his great-grandkids. Here's what Zach's doing. Here's what Katie's doing. We talked about golf. Golf was on. It was a Friday afternoon. And after about 30 minutes of just catching up and talking, and he says, Eric, am I ready to meet God? First time he ever asked me anything even remotely spiritual. I said, Granddad, you can be. Can I tell you about Jesus? And I told him, and I reminded him of what I told him before, which is, Granddad, Jesus loves you. That he died on a cross so that your sins can be forgiven. So that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty that you deserve. That he would pay it. And in his love for you, what he does is he offers forgiveness and salvation. All you have to do is turn from your sin and admit, I did it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. 
and say, Jesus, I believe who you said you are. And would you save me? I put my faith in you. I said, Granddad, is that something you want to do? He said, yeah. So I got off the chair and kneeled down and just spoke like right into his ear. I said, pray after me. And when I said amen, and he said amen, heaven was in that room. You could almost reach out and touch it. He fell asleep. And I sat back in that chair, and I didn't say a word for 30 minutes. And I just felt like whatever was there was amazing. Your labor is not in vain. How do I know? Because I will see it in the face of my grandfather forever. And God's invitation to you and I is to say, lay your life down for me. Lay this present life down for me. And watch what I do in you and through you so that all your labor impacts forever. That's good news. That's why this life matters. That's why a theology matters. And that's a theology that you and I can live on. So Father, we thank you for this morning. Pray that you would save someone right now. Pray that for my brothers and sisters and myself, we we really would live our lives for you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To hear other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at hcbc.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Hill Country Bible Church Podcast.